possessing Med Device Unleashed Podcast. Your next level source for all things sales and device. Now, here's your host, Jamie Tipton. Jamie Tipton. The Med Device Unleashed Podcast is brought to you by Live Fresh. Look, ladies and gentlemen, the Live Fresh brand and their clothing are legit. Whether it's fashion, fitness, sport, or your mindset, Live Fresh applies to it all. With their apparel, you receive premium quality materials paired with subtle and sharp designs because at Live Fresh, we believe less is more. It's about living your best life daily, no matter what's thrown at you, and looking damn good doing it. Live Fresh, it's a lifestyle. And at Live Fresh, they love helping people, which I love. And in fact, they donate 7% of their proceeds to the Clean Water Project, which is a nonprofit organization based around providing reliable water sources and delivering clean water to sub-Saharan African communities who suffer from a lack of access to clean water and proper sanitation. You can visit Live Fresh at www.livefreshbrand.com or follow them on Instagram at livefreshbrand. Or you can enter my code upon checkout. That's MDU21 to earn 10% off your first order. That's MDU21 to earn 10% off your first order. Ladies and gentlemen, we have episode 11 on our hands and I'm fired up. We have Allison Turner on the podcast. Allison's a nurse practitioner for an interventional pain practice here in Houston. In fact, she's the first advanced practitioner period that we've had on the Medical Device Unleashed podcast. And that's exciting. Allison's fiery. She's passionate. She's damn good at what she does. And she's bringing a bunch of different angles and viewpoints that we haven't heard here yet on the podcast. And that alone, my friends, is worth its weight in gold. So tune in, buckle up, get your notepad. Without further ado, Allison Turner. Just to give a little background on her, she's somebody that I actually recently started working with. Her and her family moved to the Cyprus area. Cyprus, right, Allison? Tomball, the Cyprus Tomball. So Tomball area, and she comes from a very big pain practice up in Austin, and she's working for Greater Houston Interventional Pain Associates now down here in the Houston area. So we're working together quite a bit and just talking to her and getting her feedback on a lot of different things when it comes to therapies, when it comes to interventional pain, all things nurse practitioners. And she's just been kind of a wealth of knowledge. I thought it'd be cool to bring her on and just kind of have her tell her story and also give us her viewpoints on just kind of representatives because she's dealt with quite a few of them and what she looks for, what she likes, what she thinks works and Etc. So it should be pretty good. Allison, welcome to the show. Just tell the listeners a little bit about kind of your background, where you come from, and then we'll kind of dive into the good stuff. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Jamie. So my name is Allison Turner. I'm a nurse practitioner. I've been working in pain management. I actually came, like you said, from the Austin area. I'm originally from Louisiana, where actually after I graduated from school, I practiced in Louisiana as an occupational medicine as well as family practice. And then when we moved to Austin, we actually moved to Austin to kind of because our family grew. And so I was not working for about six months. I know we talked about this earlier, Jamie, just kind of my background. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I was just like, you know, I'm just looking out there. I'd worked a little bit in hospice. And so a pain management opportunity came available. And I was like, you know, I'm going to try pain management. I'm really glad I did. And we'll dive deeper into that. But so I've been working in pain management for almost five years. I'm loving it. I think the greatest thing about it is that a lot of people and patients don't really know about pain management. They just think that they just go to a surgeon. They kind of skip over that part of it. So I'm really excited to kind of talk about the importance of a rep and how you can incorporate that. Because I think that the knowledge is key here to make sure that patients and actually other providers, even when it comes to physical therapists and chiropractors, know that pain management exists and what we have to offer for them. 
100%. I mean, I spent a ton of time. If you were to go back and listen to the episodes, I spent a ton of time highlighting. Obviously, I'm biased and you're biased, right? We're both in an interventional pain, but I love the space and it's totally looked over in every aspect. I mean, especially when people are out looking for jobs from the rep standpoint, when they're looking for jobs, they think ortho. I want to get into spine hardware. I want to get into total knee, total hip, biologics, you know, one track mind. And I made it my mission kind of, and I know you'll support this to like make pain management a priority when people are out there looking for jobs, because there's a ton of good devices. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and a ton of great companies that you can go work for. So I'm just curious. So pain management came up. What did you like about pain management? Like when you first started, was it what you thought it was or? When I first started, so again, I came from hospice, so I was pretty familiar with narcotics and things of that sort. But it is a little scary when you first come to pain management because most people think, oh, pain management equals pain medication. Well, that's not all we have to offer. And we're trying to change that because I feel like now we've kind of got this name in through pain management and we're turning more into interventional base. And we're seeing that a lot of patients have to understand that. And I'm glad that we have representatives who are able to help us along with that because we're trying to get away from narcotics. We know the opioid epidemic exists. It's been around for so long. And that was because a lot of times they were just prescribing patients pain medicine and they weren't getting better. There is a point where patients can reach hyperalgesia where the narcotics don't even work anymore and their pain is actually worse. And so a lot of patients with the deal with on a daily basis are just kind of like, well, well, you're not really helping me with my pain. And I'm like, I am. I'm trying to offer you interventional options because if you have pain somewhere, then there's got to be a pain generator that we can treat you for that. So, and that's what I think has driven me to love and that passion because I learned through educational pieces that there's more chronic pain patients out there than there is hypertension, cancer, and diabetes. And all of those combined, there's more chronic pain patients. And so those are kind of lost in the shuffle, just like we were talking about. They go to their primary care provider and they want to get referred, like you said, to ortho. They kind of sit around there for a while waiting for a total joint replacement that they don't want to do till they're about 80. And so what are they going to do in the meantime? A lot of them can't exercise. They get overweight. They have underlying health problems like hypertension, diabetes. That doesn't help if they're not exercising. So if they were able to be referred to pain management where we can actually do things for them, where we'll dive deeper into SI stuff, it's not like that. If a patient has a bad knee or bad hip or bad ankle, the way they walk, it affects SI joint. So a lot of patients, I'd say about 80 to 90% of our patients, their underlying issue is sacroiliac pain. And then when those patients end up seeing their primary, they get referred over to neuro. Well, most people are going to have an MRI that shows something. And so thank goodness for surgeons. But I feel like most surgeons are mechanical thinkers. And so when they see imaging, they're automatically thinking, well, I'm going to correct the mechanical issue. Well, that's not always the case. And that's what I love about the passion of an advanced practice practitioner, like a nurse practitioner or a PA. We're designed to kind of think more educational. Well, let's ask more further questions instead of jumping straight to imaging. You should always ask the patient, well, where do you hurt? How long have you been hurting there? How does your pain pattern, where does it go? Those things are important for us to find out what exactly is causing your pain because I'd probably say 50% of the time it doesn't correlate with the imaging. So that's our job for us to be patient with these patients to actually ask them more questions instead of just jumping straight into a surgery. So that's where the pain management kind of lies for us to actually dig deeper into what is actually truly causing your pain instead of them kind of skipping through us and going straight to a surgery and then Later on, the surgeon, what do they do? They refer them to pain management because they have nothing else to do with them and they want us to give them narcotics. Even at that point, sometimes we still have things to offer to them, 
But I just, I would prefer if there's more education out there for them to come to us first. No, thank you for that. That was spot on. So what is the life? So people can kind of put themselves in the room almost. What's the life of a pain patient? So when you have a new patient come in, whether you're seeing them or Dr. Chowdhury's seeing them, when you see a new patient, what's the spectrum that you run them through? Just so people can get an idea on how, because I tell people all the time, I'm like, when one patient walks in, they have normally two, three, four things that are bothering them. And so you have a very difficult job as either the doctor or the advanced practitioner in the room to figure out what's step one and what's the most important thing. And then on top of that, like what therapies do you even start with? True. That's a good question. And so let's just say we have a new patient that walks in the door and they're basically coming in. And sometimes they'll say it might be something super vague as my lower back hurts or my buttock area hurts, my hip hurts. I will tell you four years ago when I was first in pain management, the thought process for me was, oh, their hip hurts. Let me get a hip image. But now as I've worked in the field longer and I've actually wanted to explore and help educate my own self, when it comes to anything on the body, we're automatically thinking at dermatome level. We're thinking, is it joint or is it nervous system where it's a dermatome? And so when we ask those patients or when I ask those patients, well, where does it go? Is it just in your hip and we can do certain maneuvers or ask them with sensation and different touching and things like that? Does this hurt? Does it go any further down here? Can you feel me here? And I do a lot of education with my patients as far as, well, this could be your hip or this could be coming from your back. And if it's part of your buttock, it could be your SI joint, which can still be hip with SI. So a lot of times I'm trying to educate the patient on, you've got differential diagnosis. This is what I think it might be based on some maneuvers we can do. Like with SI stuff, we can do the provocative maneuvers. So you've really got to be in tune with what things you can do to try to kind of minimize everything to what maybe one thing is. But a lot of times, most of our patients have more than one pain generator. So a lot of times I think it's important to not overwhelm them. Like you said, they come in with multiple different pain complaints. I usually will ask them, what hurts the most today? We will address all of these, but what hurts the most? And then a lot of times with these patients, you know, we're wanting to make sure that we have done all their conservative measures. Most of the time when they come to us, they've already seen their primary care provider. They've probably done possibly some exercise, maybe physical therapy, non-steroidals, those kind of things. Those are important for insurance purposes as well. And for us to be more conservative with what have you tried and what have you failed? So the documentation is key when it comes to any kind of interventional stuff. We've got to show that they've tried something more conservative. So if they haven't, then of course, I'm going to send them to physical therapy or tell them to take an over-the-counter non-steroidal because it's cheaper and just kind of see how they do. But sometimes with these patients, you know where their pain is and I'm automatically going to probably start talking to them about an injection automatically. This is the easiest case here. And then this could be all the way to this is the worst case that I could give you. Because a lot of patients, I want them to know all their options ahead of time. I think it's important not to necessarily overwhelm them, but for them to know that if this doesn't help, I've got another option for you. Because a lot of patients, they just try something, oh, it didn't work. And then they're automatically thinking, well, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. But I think it is important, again, for us to just give all the eggs in one basket but then just, again, not to overwhelm them, but let them know that we have lots of options. This is my first option for you. Yeah, I mean, you lay out the treatment plan, right? I mean, if I'm a customer in any business, I mean, not that you're selling them, so, but you're educating them, right? I want whatever I'm going into and the professional that I'm talking to, whether it's medicine or otherwise, to give me a plan on what's going to happen. Not just today, but two visits from now, a visit from now, a month from now. 
And so I think that's key. And that's something you do a really nice job with. And that's a great point to make. And so one thing, and this probably sounds like it is a lot, but you also have representatives that help you, myself included, that help you kind of work through some of this. And again, we're not in the room with you, right? I mean, you're doing 99.9% of the work. We just try and help get it to the finish line and treat the patient and get some pain relief. And so what do you look for? And this is kind of like the main thing because I tell people all the time, I tell reps that call me, they talk about the doctor, the doctor, the doctor, the doctor. And at the end of the day, the doctor does do the procedure, but the advanced practitioner and the PA or the NP is seeing all the follow-ups. They have the right ear of the doctor. So they are working tandem as a team in the clinic. And so I want you to give the baseline real truth on like what you look for in a representative, like what's important to an advanced practitioner, because people need to hear this. And it's the reps that ignore the advanced practitioners that one, they don't get any respect in the clinic and two, they never hit their number and they're gone in a couple of years. So can you just talk to us a little bit about, I'm excited about this. So just tell us what you look for and like what your do's, don'ts, just the blatant truth. Let's hear it. Let's do it. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, and I guess it starts off to where it's all about a trusting relationship. So you actually set a good key point where, I mean, not that because I'm a nurse practitioner, I like to boast about them, but nurse practitioners are very key when it comes to taking care of patients because there's not enough doctors out there. We know that. So when it comes to a physician and a nurse practitioner working together, it has to be a trusting relationship because we're spending a ton of time with the patient. But although a lot of times we're giving 15 to 20 minutes to the patient, so when it comes to us needing to provide additional education, whether it's a surgery, whether it's a procedure, but a lot of times when it comes to these implants with a device, to me, the rep is probably one of the most important vital sources other than myself with that patient. Because number one, I feel like whenever it comes to education, I can only give them so much in one sitting, but then you're able to provide that additional time to them that you actually can give them, whether it's 10 minutes, 15, 30, 45 minutes, you're within the day of the procedure, you're with them even after it, you actually can spend more of like important time with them than actually sometimes we do. And so I have said it before, and I was even talking to Dr. Chowdhury about this, because when it comes to some devices, I've even told her, I'm like, you know, devices are devices. There are some, they all can provide the same exact outcome in a sense, but if you do not have a good rep, it's never going to work. Because the rep is so key to making sure that they're, they're number one, listening to the patient. They know the product in and out. And again, they're providing additional education. So if I don't have a good trusting relationship with the rep, it's not even going to cross my mind to necessarily use them. Because number one, ethics, that's one of the top things we learn in school. It doesn't matter whatever medical degree you have, but ethics is super important. And I have to have a trusting relationship to make sure that someone's going to be looking after my patient. Because at the end of the day, my goal is to make sure that they have an improvement in outcomes. And if I don't believe in something or an individual to help me get that job done, I'm not using them. So let me ask you this real quick, just so the listeners know too, and I always want to continue to educate the listeners on this. So spinal cord stem is something that I know your practice does a lot. And we've talked about a few times on this show. So what are the important attributes in a spinal cord stimulator rep that you look for? Because I know you did a lot of this at advanced pain care as well. And so I know you have a ton of experience with it. So if you could just give us, because and explain to the listeners, 
what is spinal cord stimulation? So that if there's a rep that's maybe looking to get into this field, what exactly it is and what their responsibilities might be. That's great. That's a good topic. So basically spinal cord stimulation is basically what I like to tell my patients is a pacemaker for pain. It's a way for us to try to block the pain for them to be able to sleep better, do more exercises, movement, overall just improvement in their quality of life. So we're able to utilize a device, like I said, to block the pain in patients that are not surgical candidates. They may be trying to avoid surgery, or again, we're just trying to avoid opioids in a sense. And so when it comes to these patients, patient selection, really in anything, even if it comes down to an interventional procedure like an epidural injection, patient selection is key. And so that's our job is to make sure that we are selecting the right patient. But to me, that's also the rep job because it's not to say that, I mean, I can only speak for myself when I say that I'm spot on and I take pride in patient selection, but I can't say that about other providers. I've even been stuck before with, with providing care for a patient that I kind of took over in multiple different places where I've worked. And I'm like, I don't even know why this patient has this device or why they had this injection. Like, I don't know why we didn't just do this first. And the patient will say that. I don't know why we didn't do this first. It's helped with my pain. It's all about listening and doing the proper exam and ordering the proper injection. So the way the rep falls into place in that is, again, it's a passion for them. It's almost like if you really don't enjoy your job, you're not really going to care about an outcome. You're just there to clock punch and get your money and go. If anybody in the medical field ends up being like that, they need to find something else to do because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're not going to benefit anybody or any patients. And again, that's our goal is to improve patient outcomes. And so when it comes to reps, again, I think that the main thing is whatever happened to people wanting to be really good at their jobs. I think that people can get lazy now. And I see a lot of that. I think that you should always wanting to be improve something. Why would you not want to be the top of or say, hey, this is across the board. When you're working for a company, I want to be top of my region. That's always my thinking. I want to be, what is it going to take for me to be the top simulator orderer? Because that's how we were in Austin. We would keep track of numbers and they showed us our monthly numbers. And I was like, what is it going to take for me to be at the top? And I have a competitive nature to me. And so I think that reps, not that it's all about competition, but it is. I mean, you're there to try to sell me on why I think that your product is better than other products. Because let's face it, we know There's multiple different products out there that can do the same exact job, but why would I want to use one in particular? And when I think of that, I think of the rep because that rep is kind of like my twin. I mean, we're connected. Like I need the reps to be able to provide additional information to the patient that maybe I can't or that I'm not available to do. Or sometimes I don't know all the answers to their questions, or I can't really speak on behalf of what happens in the OR for the procedure. And so that's where the rep plays a huge role in making sure that they know their job and they know exactly what to inform the patient and to continue to inform them because that's the thing. Sometimes I'll see patients that'll fall through the wayside when it comes to sometimes even spinal cord stimulation. You know, with these patients, when they have a spinal cord stimulator, they're having this for life. I mean, there's no reason for them not to because we selected them properly and this is going to work for them. So there's multiple different programs that can be used for spinal cord stimulation to address a patient's pain, which requires for us to be good listeners as providers and for us to be in contact with the rep as well as the patient to contact the rep on their own. So they may be contacting the rep all these different times before I see them again in the office visit. So the key thing is to, again, make sure they're giving them a proper program to address their pain in multiple different patterns. Do they want a program for when they sleep? Do they want one when they're exercising? They want one when they're 
just resting at home. They have to educate them because I have patients all the time that come in six months later and they're like, well, it doesn't work anymore. And I'm like, well, what do you mean it doesn't work? When's the last time you've been reprogrammed? Well, since my implant, well, that's crazy because you should have been reprogrammed at two months out after your spinal cord stimulator was implanted because scar tissue develops and we've got to reprogram you. Your body can kind of reach that little area where it can kind of plateau out. So we've got to continuously kind of trick the body a little bit and provide a different program that'll actually work for them. So that's where the rep is key. And especially, like I said, with, you know, with spinal cord stimulation, it's just literally they're married to this patient. I mean, and the reason I bring up spinal cord stim, because I think in pain, I think it's got to be one of the top two most patient intensive, probably in the field of medicine, from a rep standpoint, the most patient intensive device you can sell. I mean, that and pacemakers, right? I mean, obviously the pacemaker is the top one, but I mean, you're not dealing with the patient's life or death scenario with a simulator. But in the same sense, when you're living a life in pain, I mean, that patient is going through a lot. I mean, a ton. I remember when I had my disc replaced at C67, I told him, I was like, you can cut my right arm off if you want. The pain was radiating down. And I was like, I don't know how people live with this, but every day people get up and they have ridiculous symptoms in their legs and their arms. They have atrophy happening and they stuff to live with pain. So I do get it because I've actually been in their shoes. I couldn't even handle a month. And you're so right. And that's where we have to remember compassion whenever we're dealing with patients. Like, I mean, and we have to sometimes, it might be where, let's just say I leave the house, I have a bad day, something happened to one of my kids or my husband's mad at me. Like, I have to remember to keep my mind focused on the fact that I have to continue to have compassion for my patient no matter what's going on around me. Because these patients, like you said, I mean, their pain is real. I mean, they've been living this life, like you said, where they're, someone will come. I had a guy the other day who's like, I just want to cut my leg off because he's had so many surgeries. His leg hurt. He literally has terrible nerve pain. And I saw him just for the second time and I'm offering him different options that he's never been tried yet. And he's very hopeful and I'm hopeful for him as well. Because to hear him say that, I told him, I said, I know that that's not what you really want to happen. I know that's kind of how you feel because he's stuck. It causes depression. And when you have depression, it's hard to maintain your pain. And when you have pain, it's hard to handle your depression. So it's a vicious cycle. And even those patients, I mean, when they hurt, they can't exercise. So they gain weight. We talked about that earlier, like they're hypertensive or they have diabetes. It makes their underlying health issues even worse. And these people can have strokes because they're not active. So that's usually my pitch to them. I'm not wanting to just help you with your pain. I wanted to help your overall quality of life. I want people that you're around to enjoy you. And I also want your overall health to improve. So it's got to start with one thing. And I mean, a lot of patients, they can just be, you know, let's just give them their medication, let's go. Or they just don't feel like anybody's listening to them. You can still provide someone with a good 10 minute visit and still be a good listener. Got it. I mean, no, that's gold. That's seriously, that's medicine gold. And it's also one of these things when it comes to the rep too. I mean, spinal cord stem is one of the more complicated things, but just to let the listeners know, I mean, you can get into, there's SCS, like we talked about, there's RF ablation, which is a more simple thing that's done in the office for axial low back pain, for knee pain. They're lesioning the obturator femoral articular branches for hip pain. I mean, it's extensive what you can get into, intrathecal pain pumps, you can do kyphoplasty, and they're doing a lot of this stuff in the office, right? So the days of writing pain pills all day long, those days are over because there's so much more that they can offer the patient when they step into the room. When that patient steps into that exam room, I mean, the sky's the limit on what they can get. It's a good thing. The sky's the limit on what they can get. So 
if they don't have cancer, and even with cancer pain, there's certain things that we can do with cancer pain. Like if they have cancer in their spine, we can do kyphoplasty. You can actually do an ablation to that lesion and do kypho if they have a fracture there. I mean, it's there's so many things. But when it comes to the nurse practitioner, the PA, if they're just wanting to start off in pain management, or even if they're in pain management, some of them have been in it for years and they're like, please teach me all you know, because I don't really know. It all started with me asking tons of questions. I remember the doctor that I worked with at the last practice, I'd be like, hey, Dr. So-and-so. And he'd be like, I just see him in his face, like, oh my gosh, just come and ask me another question. Because <laughs> just as well, that is the only way that I will learn. And that's where all of my learning came from because he was brilliant and I asked questions. If there was a patient that I didn't know the answer to, I was going to find it out and I wanted to know more about it and what was next. And so that's where a lot of my knowledge, so it really comes down to how much do you want to know? Again, how good do you want to be at your job? Because you want to be that person that someone wants to come back and see you because you've changed their life. Like that is the whole field of medicine is for us to actually improve someone's life. So how great is that to be able to come home every day and say, you know what, I actually helped someone today. So that's what it's all about. It is what it's all about. And I was going to say too, listen, I've been in your clinics and I know the clinic obviously you work with. And so you guys are running at a high rate and efficiency is key. And I think one thing reps always mess up with, and I mean, I'm probably even guilty of this to some degree too, because we can all improve. But when I go into a clinic and I'm talking to like an Allison Turner, she doesn't have 20 minutes. And so you have to be organized. You have to understand your business, know it, know why you're going in. You need to have a why. You don't just go in to talk to her about her kids or about it. That may come up for two seconds, but you need to understand that like it's business in there. That's a good and point. It's a for-profit business, you know? So I just want the listeners to understand that like know it and like come in there with some value because if you don't, you're going to get a bad name. But that's such a good point. Like if I was a brand new provider into an office and I'm not seeing patients at that time and you're wanting to educate me on a product, that'd be great. Come talk to me, but still spend about 15 minutes. But if we're in the middle of the day and there's something new that you have to offer or, hey, I want to talk to you about this patient. And a lot of times I'm very open and given a lot of the reps my phone number and, hey, text me or call me because I'm going to text you or call you if I need you for a particular patient. A lot of times those patients, I want to give them an answer right then and there. Hey, they're going to call you. But Jamie, you do such a great job too with providing us with like these little pamphlets where we can literally write the patient's name and stuff so we can actually, that's a great communication thing that I love that you do that we can talk about here in a second is a way for you to keep in contact with the patients. But when it comes to the provider, go in there with key points because especially as different if it's a nurse practitioner or PA versus a doctor, a doctor, a lot of times it's very hard for you to talk to them. Their time is key. And a lot of times they just kind of feel like, well, I already know. So there's nothing more I need to know about. And so, and I hate that because I feel like if someone came to see me, I just owe it to them to actually spend a couple of minutes to actually visit with them. So I think it's important, like you just said, Jamie, make sure you have your key points, like what has changed or talk about patient selection. Hey, this is so-and-so, this is a perfect picture of a patient, especially to a, a practitioner or a PA. This is the kind of patient you're looking for. This is what would work well with my product. Is there anybody you've seen this week? Can I follow up with you next week and see if you've come in contact with anybody? Can I come and see you in two more weeks? I think follow-ups are always great because it keeps a good communication because when we're super busy, we get kind of get lost in the shuffle, especially when volume's high. But I think it's key to just text and say, how's it going? Anybody this week? Can I help you with anything like that? And just kind of, you got to kind of gauge them. There are some people who aren't sociable versus some people who are totally sociable. So I think you have to also know your provider and know 
kind of where your boundary might be. And again, like Jamie said, you've got to come in there with key points. Yeah, you do. And little things that I'm sure I'm not totally unique in this way, but I mean, even to the point where when we were talking about the piece of procedure and we were getting set up to do that, we talked at length. I was like, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help move the patients through the funnel? Because we know the patients are there and we know this therapy works. We're just a matter of identifying them and moving them through. And you don't have a lot of time. My job, I see it like this, and I'm hoping other reps see it like this, is I just want to eliminate the number of visits it takes before that patient gets treated, not for my own good, but for their good, because then they're saving money maybe on an office visit, right? Or they're saying, hey, Jamie answered my question, so now I'm ready to move forward, even though you guys did a great job on educating them, right? But you only have 20 minutes. If I talk to them on the phone, I've talked to patients, of course, they're consented and like they say, okay, he's okay to call me, right? And I have a BAA, so I'm allowed to do that. But I talk to him for 30 minutes on the phone and answer questions and stay in my lane with the question answering where I'm not stepping on the NP's toes or the doctor's toes on super medical things and things that I know I can't answer correctly, right? And set the wrong expectation. And that's really good because it's just like you said, here's what's new, whether it's an insurance change or, hey, now we're accepted under this insurance. And what can I do to help you with your practice? Like, what can I bring to the table for you? And then the other key thing, which you're really good about, Jamie, is go talk to prior authorization. Hey, what can I do for you? Because prior authorization, usually I don't know, the doctor doesn't know. We have no idea who's hanging out in the wayside with our authorization, who I'm like, how has it not been approved yet? So we forget one little thing in our documentation because documentation is key when it comes to these procedures. It's got to all be there. And a lot of times if we're busy, we maybe forgot to document something. So you're really good with that, Jamie, that you'll go in there and ask the girls like, hey, is there any hiccups here in prior authorization I can help you with? Because a lot of times that's where the other hiccup is. It's right there. Just the patient's just hanging out in prior authorization waiting for it to get approved. Yeah. I mean, look, and that happens in every practice, right? I mean, it's a big wheel. I mean, how many patients a day is Greater Victoria Interventional Pain Association? How many patients are you guys seeing a day? On my busiest day, I'm seeing like 33 patients, like as a nurse practitioner and the doctor seeing probably like 28 in between procedures and patients. The whole point is it's a busy, big wheel. It's a big machine. There's a lot going on. And so any kind of outside help that I can provide without stepping on anybody's toes or making anybody upset or being annoying, there's a fine line you have to walk. And I'm not perfect at walking it and nobody is, but you just try your best to do it. And I treat everybody in the office with a ton of respect, but the prior authorization department is so key to not just my business, but the practice's business. Here's the deal. A lot of people come in, they're like, oh, I need to just talk to the doctor, the nurse practitioner, the PA. You got to remember your little people. Like my MAs are super important and you have a good relationship with them, Jamie. And I really appreciate that. You have a good relationship with the front. I mean, I'm talking, you should have a relationship with a rep as a rep. I'm talking from the person with the front door down to the janitor. It's just respectful across the board to just be respectful to every single person in the office because that goes a long way when they're like, they're really a nice person. Or the MA, when I say, hey, I thought about this. Like, did you think about this for this patient? They were asking about it. It goes a long way to be kind and to be nice. And again, it's a trust factor. Same thing with any and everyone in the office. Yeah, I agree with you. I try to hammer that home a lot on this because... Again, I'm not perfect with it, but there's a lot of reps that just, when you get in there, you just get focused and honed on either the NP or there's one little thing you want to tell the doctor. But what they don't understand is if you're not treating the NP right, the NP is going to go to the provider and be like, I don't really like this rep. I don't think this is the right move. And and again, that is an ear that the practitioner really cares about. I mean, they like the opinions of the, their advanced practitioners and rightfully so. I mean, they have a very high place in the clinic. So 
No, I'm with you. I was excited to bring you on because I'm like, the minute that we met, I was like, she gets it. She totally gets it. And the good thing too with MAs, like I love my MAs. I love them to keep in mind, again, keep them in the loop. But sometimes my MAs will say, hey, what about this? This procedure for this patient? I'm like, well, they don't need that. And I tell them, I'm like, I'll say, hey, that's a great idea. Or hey, you know what? We're not there yet. Or this is why I don't feel like they're going to be good for that. So I do like to help on the side, provide education to my MA because a lot of times they're getting phone calls when I'm not there. They're getting patient messages and it just keys them in and I can really fine tune them as well as I want them to be. And so you can spend as much time with them as possible as a provider. It's our job to educate them to what my needs are so that she's my left hand, my MA. Yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. And I think that people forget, like the MAs, no, they're not nurse practitioners. They're not people, but they are in the room with the patient first thing. Like they're rooming them, they're with them, they have a relationship with that patient, they have a relationship with the provider. I mean, they're trusted people, especially in a clinic that's very tight knit, like Greater Houston International Pain Associates, right? And you can tell because they, everybody's very long tenured. There's a lot of people that have been there for a long time. And it's one big family and you got to be able to treat everybody with respect and be a part of the team. Because if you're not a part of the team, you're out. And if you're out, just don't even show up to the game because it's over. And that's the thing. You just walk in there with a smile on your face and just, how can I get into the circle? Like, What does it take to get in the circle? And it's always going to be little baby steps. But as long as you're being respectful, people will let you into their circle. For people that are thinking about getting into pain management, especially on the nurse practitioner side, not even the rep side, what's just some advice that you would give maybe a young PA or a young nurse practitioner that might be listening? I would tell them not to be fearful of a lot of patients, I think, or a lot of practitioners or PAs. I know like when I first started, I was terrified of narcotics. When I saw the short-acting opioids and long-acting opioids, I'm like, this could kill somebody. Once you learn about it, and now that we're using much lower dosing, if any, and knowing that all the options available, I think that, again, it boils down to you having a really good preceptor and spending time with a doctor and then also just doing your homework. Like if they have shoulder pain, is it shoulder pain or is it neck pain? Like here's my dermatome patterns again. It's in their hand, but it kind of starts their elbow too. So is it the ulnar nerve or is it coming from their shoulder or is it coming from their neck? So it's a lot of thinking, but again, it all boils down to asking the proper questions to the patient and knowing your physical exam findings and hey, you may not get it right the first time. I've been wrong where I've told a patient, man, I really thought it was this. But I mean, maybe it's this or maybe it's this because a lot of times there's differentials. So just be honest and open with the patient. That's all we can do. Give them the options that we think might be their pain. But a lot of times it builds a trust and relationship with you. You actually look smarter when you actually can educate somebody. And unfortunately, I feel like that's kind of something that people just either they're educators or they're not. You just have to... You have to be patient. Again, be a good listener. That's why we have two ears and one mouth. We need to listen more than we speak sometimes. So that's the biggest takeaway when it comes to working. I mean, really as a practitioner in any area, but I would encourage more people to take advantage to be in pain management if they can, because again, it's so rewarding when you're able to see someone make a turn for the best. Here's the thing. And you just kind of said it. I'm like sitting here thinking while you're talking, I'm like, literally, you go to work every day and you're like solving a puzzle. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle. It's such a unique specialty in that way. Everything else is very clean. But like if somebody walks in, you're like, is it neck? Is it shoulder? Is it this? Is it this nerve? Is it knee pain? Is it muscle pain? Do I just need a trigger point injection? Do I need something more invasive than that? I challenge people to want to actually challenge yourself. Like, 
And that's probably what I love about it. I'm not afraid to say, I have no idea what's wrong with you. I can go ask the doctor or when you come back, this may be where I'm kind of thinking, but you need to see the doctor when you come back in next time. But let me get some further imaging. People respect you for saying that rather than you just don't tell someone, oh, what's well, this? And then see you later. We see these people once a month. We actually see them more than their primary care provider. We're spending all this time with these people. At this point, you know their grandkids, you know how many kids they have. You know all these things about them because you're wanting them to get better or they're saying, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I couldn't imagine not being able to go and sit at my son's baseball game. That'd be terrible. Yeah, there's a ton of people out there right now that can't, I mean, literally can't go do that. And COVID affected that mentally. And some patients, you know, we have to resort to opioids because we were closed, you know, and a lot of times they see this all as elective. But my argument at one point was pain management is not elective. If we don't provide a service for these people, there are people who actually commit suicide because they don't know how to deal with their pain. I mean, that stuff's real. That stuff happens. And that's why we have to be good listeners. I had a lady that I spoke with today. She had SI joint pain for 13 years and she could not get a full night's rest in 13 years. And she has 90% relief from the piece of procedure. And she slept for the first time last night. It was like her first night. And she was like, lights out. Stuff for the first time in 13 years. Yeah, really. I mean, that's pretty wild to think about. I just wanted to say that that's just happened today. And I was like, man, I feel bad when I don't sleep well for two nights. Imagine not sleeping well for 13 years. And she considered that kind of normal. And for her to go back and sometimes what happens is they're like, I could have been better 10 years ago. And then they have to start thinking like that. The fact that you were able to provide them a service like that is unbelievable. And one thing I do do too, I wanted to bring this up is, and I just started doing this. I do a Zoom class where I actually have, and I'm not the only rep that does this, but probably one of the few. And we actually have the, like, for instance, Allison would give out and they have them. There's little QR codes where I have a Zoom license and patients can get on and just watch me go through a slide deck that just... It's very short. It's 30 minutes, but it helps educate patients on, hey, here's the therapy. Here's why it might be right for you. And then that way, when they come back in to see Allison or see Annie or see whoever, maybe they have some questions they didn't have before. Or maybe they're saying, look, I did the class and I think I'm ready to move forward. I don't know if it's helped in any way, Allison. Those are great. I love them because the patient, a lot of times, like we're just identifying and saying, you know what? I even have patients that you have these fabulous posters that you've like framed. They look amazing in our rooms. And the patients, while they're in there, they're just sitting in there. Usually they're in there for just a couple of minutes. Normally I'm in the room pretty quick. Some patients will be in there for other providers for like 30 minutes. They're just kind of looking around the room at the walls, reading whatever's in the walls. And I can't tell you how many patients I've walked in the room that are like, hey, I think I need that. And so that stuff works. Like to actually have it on the wall where they actually have, this is what your symptoms are. Here's in red where your pain is, and this is the procedure. It's genius, and it's simple, and the patients can understand it. That's what's key for them to just look at it and say, I think I need that. Yeah, I'm with you. And 90% of the time, you're like, no, that's not you. But the fact that they're looking at this thing and they identify with it, that's cool. It really is. I mean, that's why I put them in. They just help educate. So just helps everybody out in the long run. We're going to wrap this up. Is there, and I know we were talking about this a little bit before, I can help you do this. I know you're going to get back to on LinkedIn. She needs to update her LinkedIn. I do. I do. I will. Is there anywhere they can find you? I mean, I don't know if you want to give out your Facebook or not. I mean, they could look you up, but LinkedIn, I guess. And then I guess you just updated. I didn't know if anybody had any questions. 
Yeah, I'm going to totally update it. But I mean, they can always contact you. And I don't ever mind like getting in contact with someone because someone hacked my Facebook. So I don't have Facebook anymore. But I always love to visit or try to encourage anybody or offer anything that I can to someone, anything that they need. So I can reach out to Jamie or I will update my LinkedIn. Jamie, you're going to help me do that. I'm going to help you. But all right. So like you said, I'm going to be her publicist. Okay. So if you need to reach out to her, just go ahead and shoot me a message on LinkedIn. And you guys, my emails on my LinkedIn, everything's on there. So Allison, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. I know the listeners got a ton out of it and I can't wait to have you back on. Take care of yourself. Have a wonderful night and we'll talk to you soon. Thank y'all. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to episode 11. Quick PSA here. I have recently started an Instagram based around the Med Device Unleashed podcast, and it's going to be med underscore device underscore unleashed. And what we're going to do with this Instagram, nothing's up yet, but what we're going to do is post a bunch of different things. Obviously, podcast material. We're also going to be doing some videos and some different things around the medical device field and industry, maybe some day-to-day stuff, and just kind of keep it fun and interesting. But I thought that I'd give a quick PSA to just let people know the Instagram handle is going to be med underscore device underscore unleashed. And look forward to having you guys follow us and keeping up and see you on this next episode.